the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The RV Show USA. Hi, it's the RV Wingman, and welcome to today's podcast. Just a quick note, when it's time to do business with the best and most honest RV dealers in the country, I hope you'll check out my friends at RVDealersITrust.com. I trust them. I think you can trust them, too. Go to RVDealersITrust.com. The RV Show USA. Start living the RV dream today. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the RV Show USA. For some of you, it's welcome back to the RV Show USA. I'm Alan Warren, the RV Wingman. I'll be your show host in this series. The RV Show USA is a one-hour weekly radio program about all things RV and camping and RV lifestyle related. Um, I am a lifelong lover of camping and RVing and a former campground owner, and I have a lot of experience in dealing with RVers, dealers, and RV manufacturers. Uh, if you'd like to stay in touch with us, and I certainly hope you will, check us out online, our website. It's very, very simple. It's a simple little website, thervshowusa.com. Put it all together, thervshowusa.com. Uh, we also have a video version of the show. Yes, we do. And I uh, hope you'll check out our YouTube channel. For you folks who are watching on YouTube right now, what do you think of my virtual campfire? Pretty cool, right? You know, I say virtual campfire because I think that a campfire, there's something magical about a campfire, something that that you can't find anyplace else. It's where people of all different backgrounds can come together and actually get along. So that's what we do here on this show. We've got people that are not yet RVers. We've got people that have been RVing their entire lives and everybody in between. As the wingman, I try and connect you with people that I trust. I have a tremendous amount of experience, and not that I'm right all the time, but I give, as I call it, little words of wisdom from time to time to try to guide you and lead you. I will never knowingly lie to you, never mislead you. I will do my very best to be transparent and connect you with people that I trust. So a little background. When I bought my campground, we had it for eight years. We were very hands-on. When I bought the campground, I had this fantasy about what it would be like. And it was for a while. But after seeing hundreds and then thousands and thousands of campers that would come through the campground, I started noticing some things that weren't so great. And I didn't like seeing them. And there's a dark side to RVing in the RV industry. So I started talking about them and pushing back on manufacturers and dealers that were slobs that I think produced junk. And I wasn't trying to make enemies, but I was trying to let people know that RVing does have a dark side. And so that's how I got the moniker, the handle, if you will. I'm the RV wingman. I, like I said, I will not lie to you. And I will call people out when I think they need to be called out. I'm not just for the consumer. I'm not just for the manufacturer. I'm for, I don't know, being reasonable, being open and honest and fair. That's what I'm all about. So... I have a voicemail. We set up a 24-hour voicemail box where if you have an experience 
negative or positive, I want to hear from you. I'm going to play one of them here in just a minute. And it's from somebody that had a very bad experience at Camping World. And Camping World is, is somebody that I talk about quite often. But they're not the only ones that people have a bad experience with. If you want to share your story with me, I might, I will do my best to get back to everybody, but I might pick it and put it here on the show. But I use these phone calls to illustrate the need for you to be educated as an RV buyer. Also, the need for dealers and manufacturers to improve their service, do a better job. Because it's people like Bob, you're getting ready to hear. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. This happens all too often. Saw it all the time at the campground. Somebody come in with a brand new camper, their first time camping. And they they come come out and look at it. And I'd open up a cabinet or something, a little storage compartment. There's cut piece of plastic and wire stuff laying around. It's like, what kind of slob would do that? Anyway, you can call 24-7. I'm going to give you the phone number now, and then I'm going to mention it at the end of this voicemail. I want to hear from you. The number is 1-330-WINGMAN. 1-330-WINGMAN. That's 330-946-4626. And check this out. This is somebody that I just got a phone call recently. Hi, my name is Bob, calling to report Camping World, Owatonna, Minnesota. We found the RV we were looking for, a 2017 Thor Ace. Got a call from the call center at Camping World. A nice lady, Lacey, set up an appointment for us to drive over and look at this Thor Ace. We set up the appointment in the morning to be over in Otana, Minnesota, a a two-and-a-half-hour drive for us to look at that unit. Drove up there, got there about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, had the service, uh, the sales manager come down briefly, and I mean briefly, introduce himself, and then he passed us off to their supposedly top salesman. Hmm, I doubt it. Took us out to see the unit. When I walked up to the unit, I commented, gee, this looks awful dirty. He said, if you think this is bad, wait till you get inside. We went inside. The couch had been stolen. The TVs were gone. The mattress had been replaced, but still in the plastic and not set up. Mouse droppings on the seats, on the sink, and in the air vents on the coach. Absolutely disgusting coach had never been on the internet for sale. Bob's voicemail went on and on, but Camping World and every RV dealer, do you think that's appropriate? Somebody drives two and a half hours each way to come and give you money and you can't even pick up some of the junk? Vacuum clean the, the mouse turds out of there? What is going on? Now, one of my proudest moments, real real quick, years ago, I heard about a lady, a great-grandmother that had been taken advantage of at Camping World. And she, this, the short story is she had dementia. She was, I don't know, 89 years old, something. She, she had her driver's license, but she couldn't drive. And she had this fantasy about getting an RV. And so she had somebody take her to the Camping World store where they, oh, they sold her an RV. She never drove it. They sold her and they, they added everything on. And they ended up even delivering it to her driveway. Guess what? The woman had dementia, like I said. She died. She never even got a chance to use it. The family's like, we didn't even know our grandma was going to do that. 
So they contacted me and I helped them. I helped them get their thoughts together and push back. And guess what? They got their case was resolved. I don't know what happened. They had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, but I got involved. It made me feel so good. I'm not a lawyer, but I am a consumer advocate. I want to see you a happy camper for a long, long time. I don't want to see you taken advantage of. And I also don't want to see you taking advantage of a dealer. You got to, it goes both ways. So if you'd like to share your experience with me, I wish you would. Call, leave me a voicemail message at 1-330-946-4626. 330-946-4626. As I said, nobody's going to pick up. I get back to as many people as I possibly can. Now, if you're watching the video version of the show, drop a comment below. Let me know uh, about your RV experience. My contact information is also there on our YouTube channel. Coming up in just a little bit after the break, we're going to be talking about boondocking what boondocking is. I know you probably heard about it. A lot of you are like, what's that mean? We're going to talk about what boondocking is and what boondocking isn't. We're going to talk to some full-time RVers who, uh, well, they're, they're really honest and they're going to tell you some of the biggest mistakes they made and some of the biggest mistakes that other full-time RVers make. So if you're thinking about selling everything and going full-time, you may want to stick around and uh, watch some of these people. We're also going to talk about something that's kind of scary, at least I think it is, and it's about, well, it's about going hiking in a national park. Well, how scary could that be? Well, it's not at all, unless you get lost. I'm talking really, really lost, and it happens more often than you may think. From what I understand, most people that get lost, well, they get found. A couple hours, maybe 24 hours. But after 24 hours, the window of uh, opportunity to find those people gets narrower and narrower. It's closing. And for too many people, they end up dead. Yeah, dead. We're going to talk about that on today's show. Again, I'm Alan Warren, the RV Wingman. We appreciate you for watching. We appreciate you for joining us on the radio. Let us know where you're watching the show from. By the way, I have a free RV report that I've prepared that you can view and download now. If you're going to buy or sell an RV, buy or sell an RV, download this report. It will save you thousands of dollars and prevent you from being ripped off. I prepared this report because so many people are like, they make mistakes. I'm not selling anything. It's available free of charge. Just go to my website, thervshowusa.com, and you can click and download it, view it, download it from there. Also, you can connect with the RV dealers that I trust. We've created a network of RV dealers I have personally vetted, people that will not rip your eyeballs out when they sell you an RV. You can trust them. I trust them. As I say, I think you can trust them too. So visit us on our website at thervshowusa.com. The Wingman's back on the radio again And streaming live to his RV and friends Helping you to learn so you won't get burned one of the great things about RVing is that there are so many different options you can choose from to experience. So no matter what you're looking for, from a large, modern, typically crowded campground with all the amenities, all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum, which is boondocking. But what does it mean to actually boondock? I mean, what's the difference between, say, boondocking and dry camping? Well, we're about to get into all the nuances of boondocking in this segment, and there's a lot to cover. Now, One camper that knows a lot about boondocking is a full-time RVer with a YouTube channel called Creativity RV. Her name is Robin Barrett. 
Now, Robin is an adventurous person. She is. She's like so many other people today who were somewhat disillusioned by a traditional lifestyle, being tethered to her job, I guess, working hard and feeling somewhat empty. Empty, I think, because of the busyness of life. And she wanted so much more. So without knowing a thing about RVing and never even being in an RV, Robin bought a Class B van and she decided to become what's called a digital nomad, where she literally lives on the road, travels, works, yes, works, and explores. And in the years since she started, she has found more happiness than ever before. Now, one of the things Robin has learned a lot about is the subject of boondocking. Here she is with what she's calling RV camp without a hookup. How RV camping changed my life. I'm out in the middle of nowhere boondocking. Now that means I am staying on public land in my RV, usually for free. Now a lot of people don't know about this, so if this is a new concept for you, you're not alone. I didn't know about it until I stumbled across it on YouTube one day and saw this solo female RVer driving her RV out into the desert. And I was thinking, what is she doing? Where is she going? And then when she set up camp, I thought, is that legal? There are a million of us out here. And if you haven't heard about this life, it might be because most of us keep to ourselves. And we go into a town, we get supplies, we do what we need to do like everybody else, and then we go home. But home for us is usually down a dirt road in the National Forest or in the desert or in Army Corps of Engineer land, all kinds of places. And we set up camp and we can usually stay up to two weeks there for free. Now, boondogging sounds great. And it may sound great that it's free, but there are things that go into it. So today, I'm going to break it all down for you and tell you why, how, and where I boondock. Let's start with a couple of definitions because I think some of them can be a little bit confusing. Boondocking means that you're going out and camping, usually in public areas, without an RV park kind of a hookup. So you don't have a water connection, you don't have an electrical connection, you don't have a sewer connection, there are no trash cans. You have to be completely self-sufficient. So there is some work that goes into it. So when I say boondocking on public lands is free... It is free to camp here, but most of us have to make an investment into an RV that we can live in full time that supplies us with all the power that we need, the water that we need, and the ability to pack out all of our trash until we get back to civilization. You may also have heard the term primitive camping. Primitive camping is just like boondocking, except that when you go into the Bureau of Land Management website, bln.gov, and you read about areas where you can go recreate for free, which means camp, they call it primitive camping. To them, primitive camping, again, means camping with no hookup. And what they're basically telling you is that you have to be self-sufficient. The next term you might see is something called dispersed camping. Dispersed camping is the same thing, except that it's basically boondocking on national forest land. So if you go to the national forest website where you can see all the places that you can camp, totally legal for free, usually up to about 14 days, you're going to see that they call this dispersed camping, not to make it more confusing. So boondocking, primitive camping, dispersed camping, all the same thing. Then you're going to see a term called dry camping. Now, a lot of people, as you can imagine, start to use these terms interchangeably, but dry camping is a little bit different. You're not necessarily out in the middle of nowhere. Maybe you're at a National Forest campground where you have a reservation and you pull into a spot and you're there dry camping without an electrical hookup, without water at your site, without sewer at your site. You might have access to a water spigot or a trash can or a dump site. Every campground is different, but most people consider that dry camping. Now, these probably shouldn't be confused with stealth camping, which a lot of people do. People are living in their RVs or vans in cities a lot of times because they can't afford the rent or because they're just traveling through and they want to stay in their house. They don't want to stay in a hotel. Now, this is frowned upon in some jurisdictions, so they call it stealth camping because you usually want to be a little bit quiet inside so people don't call and say there's some vagrant sleeping on the street in front of their house. And then you're going to hear people talk about overnight camping and overnight parking. That's like what you do at a harvest host. When you go to visit one of the great hosts, have an experience and stay the night in your own rig, usually without a hookup. That's the same thing as if you went to a Walmart or a truck stop or 
or a rest area. These are all places where you can overnight camp or overnight park. They really are the same thing, except that people used to say overnight camping a lot. And then the word camping got kind of a stigma because of people that were like living in encampments on city blocks or in Walmart parking lots. And so a lot of these entities want you to know that you're not supposed to camp. Like if you go to a rest area, for example, you may see something that says no camping. Well, what that means is they don't want you putting out your camp chairs and putting out your grill and setting up for days at a time. But if you go to the state websites, then it will tell you that they want you to be safe, that you need to pull over and you can stay to get rest so you're safe to get back on the road. So overnight parking is just fine. Now that seems like a lot of definitions, right? Well, maybe it's because there's so much camping opportunity in the United States. Did you know that over 50% of this country is public land? And if you go into any of those government websites, they're going to say that one of the purposes of public land is recreation. And that's us. Now, let me tell you how boondocking literally changed my life. I was living in the corporate world and was trying to find a way out so that I could be a writer and a painter, which is what I was meant to do. But I couldn't figure out a way to do that and pay the bills. And then I stumbled across boondocking RV life. And I crunched the numbers. And I realized that if I boondocked, I could make a living as a writer. Now, it took a couple of years of planning. It's not like I fell over into an RV and was able to do this. I wasn't. I quit that corporate job, took a part-time job, and worked the other part of the time creating some kind of a mobile income for myself, paid off all my debt, and saved up for a rig that I could buy so I wouldn't have a payment. That's me. Everybody's different. But once I did that, I discovered that my expenses were really low. So the why for me is that boondocking allowed me to live the life that I wanted to live without having to be tethered to a job in one location. There are so many opportunities out there for people to work from the road now, it's crazy. So 10 years ago, this wasn't possible for a lot of us, but now it is. Now let me tell you how I do it. First of all, I have a great boondocking power system. I just had one installed inside of the Airstream from Battleborn and Dragonfly Energy. And so when I'm out here in the middle of nowhere, it's okay. I have enough power stored in here that I can work on my big computer and I can do everything that I need to do, including running my Starlink and work remotely just like anybody else. It is an investment to have that kind of a system put in. But for me, I'm saving so much on rent that it's worth it. The other big three things you have to worry about are water, trash, and sewer. And it takes some time to get into the groove. I know now after a few years exactly how much water it takes me to shower and do dishes and how long I can camp out in the wilderness without having to go get more water and dump my tanks. But the big problem a lot of the time is trash because there aren't trash cans just sitting around here. So if you're going to accumulate a lot of trash over the two weeks, your house and your car are going to be full of stinky bags. So you have to learn some strategies to not have that much trash. There are a lot of apps and programs. I like RV Trip Wizard if I'm trying to stay in a campground or an RV park. I like Harvest Hosts because I take advantage of other host locations while I'm driving from one place to another all year long. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. And then to find boondocking places, I usually use Campendium and iOverlander. And where can you boondock? Well, some places are better than others. Like I said, more than half of the country is available for recreation, but most of it is on the West Coast. In fact, Nevada has more public land than any other state. But if you get over to like Maine or Pennsylvania, it does get a little bit harder to find big areas of public land where you can boondock. Luckily though, there are harvest houses all over the place. I'm going to maple tree farms and wineries and go-kart places and car museums. Can't wait. It makes my travel so much more fun. And I know some of you are wondering what it's like to be out here by myself in the wilderness. Well, you know what? I really love it. Um, it's not a lot different than being solo in real life. My life looks just like it did then. I wake up, I take a shower, I make breakfast, I go to work, and then I get to go sit outside, but my backyard is just fabulous. And if I want to see other people, it's really no big deal. I camp with other people in groups of people all the time, but then when I want to split off and be by myself, I can. And unlike in an RV park, I don't feel like I'm in a fishbowl. I'm literally surrounded by trees and mountains right here. I don't see another person. And that's the way I personally like it. And one of the most common questions I get is, do you feel safe or are you safe out there? Or aren't you scared? I feel safe. And I'm not usually scared. Now, I try and be really aware of my surroundings, but that's the same for me here 
as it would be if I still lived in a city. And I share my location all the time with about four people that can always see where I am and they check in on me. And I'm ready to defend myself in here if I need to, just like I would if I were walking down a city street or if I were in an apartment. And look, I didn't grow up doing this. I had never been in an RV until I bought one, flew out to pick it up, and started living in it full time. And I figured it all out. And again, that was six years ago, and I absolutely love it. I don't see myself going off the road anytime soon. I mean, my feeling is life is short, and there's so much to do and so much to go see. And for me, there's no better way to do that than boondocking across the country in an RV. With so much public land available out west, that's where you'll find an abundance of opportunities for boondocking. Dry camping, primitive camping, whatever you'd like to call it, it's off the grid. Those options for having a peaceful camping experience. As Robin will tell you, there are some rules that you'll need to follow. Some are regulations, depending upon where you're going to actually be camping. But there are also some unwritten rules. Unwritten rules of common sense, of acting responsibly, and as they say, leave it better than you found it. In closing, Robin Barrett is um, she's a true inspiration for so many people, especially women who dream of doing something similar to what she has done and become an RV nomad. Robin is just another example of someone with a big dream, a dream of living the RV life and the courage to go after it. So I have a question for you. Have you ever been lost? I'm not talking about being lost in your car. I'm talking about being really lost in the woods, like on a hike. I mean, lost, where they literally have to come and search for you. I'll tell you, thousands of people get lost in the woods every single year. And most of those people, thankfully, are found within 24 hours, but not always. And too often when they are found, they are dead. I know. Up now, Mike Windland from RV Lifestyle drills down on the subject of missing hikers in our national parks with a retired law enforcement officer who shares her experiences in finding missing people, including the dead ones. Let, let me just jump right in and start. Is there such a thing as um, a typical way that a hiker gets lost that you have found in your experience in national parks? My first response to that is no, because I think every hiker is going to get lost. If you hike enough times, there's going to be time you're like, oh, I think I missed the intersection, right? You know, that happens to all of us. What gets unusual is which hikers don't get found. You know, when does that become where you're lost for five days instead of an hour? Well, how how do you find a lost person, a lost hiker, particularly when you're in a place like Yosemite or the Grand Canyon or our national parks, which can be so big. How do you, where do you even begin to start? What clues do you look for? Yeah, that's a great question. And as a park ranger, you know, I initiated a lot of searches. What happens typically is somebody calls and says, my buddy, Mike, he was supposed to meet me for dinner. He's not here. And he was hiking in the Grand Canyon. And we call that an overdue hiker. And, you know, about 97% of those are solved within 24 hours. You find that person alive usually, but every once in a while you find their body. So what happens is you need to investigate right away. You start asking questions. Well, does Mike have any illnesses? Uh, was there a thunderstorm? Uh, you know, did he say for sure he'd be out at this time? Then you also do what's called a hasty search, and you send a helicopter or some ground pounders, we call them, searchers on the ground to run to where the most likely location this person would be. And just as you said, they're supposed to search for clues. So you got the hasty, you got the investigation. The other thing that the ranger has to do is what's called containment set up somebody at the trailhead, make sure that person doesn't walk out of the park or out of the trailhead or get in their car and drive off without you knowing. And that's all needs to be done all at once because a search is actually an emergency. Uh, you need to find that person quickly if they're in trouble. Now, uh, you say that 97% are, are found, usually within a 24-hour uh, period of time. 
the, reversing that a bit, when should somebody report that somebody is missing? Uh, we had a group, for example, a few years ago that were, um, uh, were going to spend an overnight at uh, Smoky Mountain National Park. And they were going to stay in one of those cabins that uh, they were arranged for. And one of our hikers came back the next morning and said, hey, they weren't there. So in our dilemma, do we report that? And we did. And it turns out they, they were okay. But I always felt, well, should we have reported it? When do you report that somebody is missing? I would err on the side of sooner rather than later. Um, you, you, well, I want to say you want to start the investigation stage immediately. And that is questioning, questioning what happened. Why are they late? And this is when, when we go hiking, we should always tell people, look, if I'm not out by 3 p.m. on Sunday, there's a problem. Call for help. So if we do that ahead of time, that makes that takes that uh, angst away from the person who needs to report it. But if the person hasn't told you that, go ahead and start investigating, preserving evidence, and start calling agencies that, is, that has jurisdiction where that person was last seen and tell them that they need to initiate a missing persons case or, for, or a for response. Those, for those of us who do like to, to hike, um, what are some of the things you mentioned? Always tell people, hey, this is the drop dead time that I need to, if you haven't heard from me, then something's wrong. Uh, that's a great thing for us all to remember. But what are some of the other things that we can do to minimize any problems should we get lost or should something happen on the trail uh, to, you know, to help us be found? What are some of the things that we should do? You know, one thing with the new technology, we have these new GPS locator devices, and most of them have an emergency SOS button that you can touch. Some of them even have text ability where you text through a satellite. And so even when there's cell service dead zones, you can still text for help or let somebody know you're running late, things like that. They're, they can be expensive, but they're lifesaver for sure. The other thing is if you're lost, what I'm noticing with the people that we can't find is we have trouble finding clues. Uh, you know, leave messages somehow. Uh, leave a breadcrumb trail for the searchers to follow. Uh, and that could be maybe set an arrow with your initials that shows where you're going uh, or writing a note. I'm headed toward water uh, so that people know where to look for you, because that's what often happens. Sometimes we don't even know where to start looking for the person. And so you find something like that, and at least it gives you an idea. This is where they were. This is the direction they're going, and you can move. Even backing up ahead of that, what are some of the things that we could do to decrease the likelihood of us getting lost in the first place? One thing is you want to have a map. If, you don't, if you're going to a new place that you don't know, you want to have a map and have studied the map and know how to read it. Uh, one thing that sometimes what happens to me is I just spontaneously want to go on a hike. I don't have a map. Go to the trailhead and see if there's a trail map there and take a picture of it with your phone. And so that way it's on your phone. If you lose your way while you're hiking, look on your phone. Be careful at intersections. Here's something to do when you're hiking with someone. If you get to an intersection and you're ahead of them and they're slower than you, at every intersection, stop and wait for that person. Go, hey, okay, we're going this way. Because that's how people get separated is they, they get lost sometimes. Is there's a confusing intersection, but the rest of the party went ahead. And so they go down this other way, They didn't, not knowing that everybody else went the other way. So always wait for your hiking buddies when you're at an intersection. Is it, I've heard it often said that if you drive to a, uh, a trailhead and you leave your vehicle there, put a note in it that says, hey, uh, gone off from this trail and expected to be back, you know, at four o'clock, something like that. Is that a good idea as well? Or I do think that's a good idea. You do because cars get broken into at trailheads. You might want to be careful about where everybody could read that. But uh, you could also have that note where the rangers would find it if they had to get in your car. Uh, you know, texting a friend that information is probably the best. And also, that person knows they're kind of responsible. Look, you're responsible for asking about me if I don't text you by 5 p.m. on Friday. Um, you know, call the cops. Let's, uh, let's, let's touch base a little bit about, about you, Andrea. Uh, you were a ranger for a long time. And how did you become involved in so many of these search and rescue operations? And Yeah, I was a National Park Service ranger for 12 years. I started in 1987, and I worked at several national parks, including really big and busy ones like Grand Canyon and Yosemite. And law enforcement and search and rescue was the primary job that I had was, uh, you know, responding to crises in a national park. 
And so the, these parks are busy enough that rangers see a, a lot of problems and respond to a lot of overdue hikers. So that was a common task for me. So when I was a ranger of the Grand Canyon, I had a missing hiker case and that I was in charge of the operation to find him, and I couldn't find him. And it really bothered me. It just, I never really got over it. So fast forward, that was 1995. Fast forward 20 years later, and in 2015, a Pacific Crest Trail hiker named Chris Sylvia, who was 28, disappeared from the trail and was never found. And when I heard about that case, it reminded me so much of the case I uh, failed to solve at Grand Canyon that I just got hooked, and I couldn't let it go. I just didn't seem right that he couldn't be found. His gear was on the trail, and so I called his family and asked for their blessing to do a pro bono investigation into his disappearance. And then what happened, I started to meet other people who were searching for other missing hikers who had gone missing on the Pacific Crest Trail, and we started to work together. How many people go missing and are never found out there? Uh, it seems like we hear about this fairly regularly. Now, according to FBI statistics, about 600,000 people reported missing every year, and a vast majority of them are found. And most of those are from urban, suburban areas. We don't, the government is not doing a good job at tracking statistics on people who go missing from public lands, but a number that gets thrown out there a lot is there are 1,600 people who remain missing from federal public lands, uh, national parks, forest service. So we don't know as much about it as we should, but people, it, you'll see on Facebook and the news, you hear about a hiker going missing, what, about once a week in the summer, easily. Now, there's two cases that uh, you became personally involved with these and, and, as you say, obsessed with them, uh, the one in Grand Canyon and the one on the Pacific Coast Trail. What happened to those people? Were they ever found? What did you learn? The 28-year-old in the Grand Canyon, he was eventually found by accident. Uh, some Park Service maintenance people were working on a pipeline far back in the backcountry, and they found some human remains, and it ended up being this 28-year-old young man. Did it's you ever find out what happened to him? It's what, how he yeah, it's unclear. It, he either fell or it's possible he committed suicide. I believe he fell. Um, but it's possible that, you know, he was despondent. Mm -hmm. the, unfortunately, the hikers on the Pacific Crest Trail, I call them the PCT missing. There's three of them, Chris Sylvia, Chris Fowler, and David O'Sullivan. They remain missing at, to date. And so people are still looking for them and still hoping for a lead. Were these uh, separate cases or were they all together? They were separate. Uh, Chris Sylvia went missing in February 2015, then Chris Fowler in October of 2016. Sylvia was in Southern California. Chris Fowler was in Washington State. Yeah. And then David O'Sullivan went missing in April 2017, also in Southern California. Are those cases connected? Most likely not. But there are some odd things on the Pacific Crest Trail. There's dangerous people. There's a cult on the Pacific Crest Trail. So when you don't, when you don't find a body, it's very unsettling because you, you don't know what happened to them. When I was lost for a few hours on BLM land years ago, my brain started playing tricks on me. I'd start thinking one thing, and then a second later, I'd be second-guessing myself. Can you just imagine the fear when people get really lost? I mean, really and truly lost. Lots of great info here by Mike Winland and RV Lifestyle. As always, he is so good at interviewing people who are in the know. You should check out Mike's YouTube channel called RV Lifestyle. It's really, really good. And yes, you can also link to him from our website, thervshowusa.com. Learn how to not get ripped off when buying or selling an RV. I'll tell you how at freervreport.com. Hey, it's the RV Wingman, and before we roll into our next segment, I want to invite you to join me around my virtual campfire on YouTube. That's right. The RV Show USA has a YouTube channel where you'll find the video version of today's radio show. This is the RV Wingman, and I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It'll take you less than a minute to read. It's a great way to stay connected around my virtual campfire. Add your name at thervshowusa.com. 
I want to visit with you about making mistakes. I often ask the question, what does a mistake feel like? Does a mistake feel bad? Well, if so, why'd you make the mistake? You most likely did it because it didn't feel like anything. Well, that is until it was too late. If you hate making mistakes and you want to become an RVer, I have some bad news. You're going to be making plenty of mistakes. No matter how smart you think you are, no matter how much preparation you have made, RVing presents so many things that can, well, they can come out of nowhere that you'll realize soon that being able to process things quickly and improvise is pretty much an essential part of the RV lifestyle. Two people that know a lot about the RV lifestyle started out RVing not that many years ago. And they're smart people, but they made a lot of mistakes. Boy, they made some big ones. John and his wife Mercedes are the RV odd couple. To me, they're not odd at all, but they are pretty much opposites in many of the things they believe. But man, have they built an empire and a huge loyal fan base. The RV Odd Couple has a massive online presence and a super loyal community that's learned when it comes to laying it out there and telling the truth. No one does it any better. From being just campers in a campground, the RV Odd Couple now owns their own campground in Alabama. And today they're coming to us from their little piece of heaven and talking about the number one biggest mistake they think they made in their RV journey. So here's a couple things that you should know about when you're full-time RVing, right? Because most RVers are weekend warriors. They go for shorter trips. When you're camping for two to three days, you have a different mindset. You have a vacation mindset. You're going to have a fire every night. You're going to cook on the grill every day. It's very different. When you're full-time RVing, you're not on vacation mode anymore. Your home is where you park it. Suddenly things like laundry, grocery shopping, and those types of errands, they take up more and more of your time. You kind of have to eat a little healthier generally. Yeah, and Walmarts aren't everywhere. Guys, we stayed in a campground out in a California where it was an hour and 15 minute ride just to get groceries, mm-hmm. just to get milk and bread. Mm-hmm. And so you just never know. And, it, and it's fun, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. But after a little bit of time, I'd say about the first six months, it was all exciting. The adventure, going out, going to new places. But it did start to wear off and when you're pulling a 42 foot rig around with a toddler and a dog every couple of weeks it starts to wear on you it does and so because of the wear and tear of the monotony of life when you're traveling in the rv and moving from spot to spot it's actual work it is. right um yeah it's fun to explore new places and to see things you've never seen before but it's a lot of work well and, and let's be real the day before the trip is kind of a work day. You're prepping, yep. getting things put away, getting getting prepped to leave early in the morning because you don't want to drive all day. And then the day of travel is kind of a work day too. Well, no, no. And, and just driving the rig itself when you're dragging 65 or 70 feet, there's a lot of stress involved with that as well, especially when you don't know exactly where you're going. It requires your full attention, yep. right? This isn't something that you can do while scatterbrained. Correct. And then once you arrive at your destination, sometimes you just kind of need a day to settle. And then the next day you're a little wore out. Yeah, from the stress. <laughs> of, so things just kind of change. And I think what we're talking about is the pace you know you got to pace yourself it's not a sprint it's a marathon you're bringing everything you own with you wherever you go and it's not super easy to move of course depending on how you rv for us it was our whole family a toddler a dog and 42 foot massive machine that was our home two bedrooms back there but one of the biggest mistakes we made is we went too fast yeah so what we're going to say to you is is number one slow down you don't have to and i think every rver makes this mistake you're excited you're ready to go we spent months sitting at home planning our route 
and which campground we're going to stay at all we over the country. We watched YouTube we, videos so that we would know everything we need to know. Need to know. Because surely I would know everything if I just watched eight YouTube, straight hours yeah. of YouTube. What we didn't realize is they always made it look like rainbows and butterflies and there wasn't a lot of, they didn't share a lot of the challenge, right? Yeah. And so what we found out in, in, in our travels over three years is the one thing that we would change from what we the way we did it is we would slow way down. We wouldn't travel as fast as, as we did. As a lot of you guys know, we joined um, Thousand Trails and we think it was worth every penny because we used it. Thousand Trails works great if you use it. If you're full time. Our first year we had our nights down to ten bucks a night using it. The problem is is that you're gonna be moving every couple of weeks. And when you have an R V like we did, a forty three footer with a dually, a toddler and a dog, that's a lot of work moving every two weeks. Knowing what we know now, we would have probably gone monthly so go ahead and see the areas of the country that we wanted to go into and we would get longer term rental rates from campgrounds as you guys know monthly rates are a lot cheaper than the nightly rate and semi-annual and quarterly rates are even cheaper than that and one of the biggest questions that we got from the RV Odd Squad, the people that followed us was, what's the perfect amount of time to travel mm -hmm. or sit still? And the truth is, is it depends on the person. Mm -hmm. Some people who are single, just a couple, that have no kids and no dogs, they can do one or two weeks and then pick up and move. Of course, maybe they have a smaller rig, maybe they don't. That's a lot easier than dragging around a kid and a dog with you every couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. For us, knowing what we know now, we would go one, one place each month mm -hmm. and really search the area. Mm -hmm. Because when you're only parking for one week or two weeks, and you're trying to get all these these tourist attractions in, guys, that's a lot of work. Just getting a kid ready to take her into the mountains or into a national park or mm -hmm. just getting a kid ready, right? Well, exactly. And think about it. If you're there for seven days, the first day you arrive, you're kind of getting your energy back. And then the day before you leave, you have to prep. So yep. really, it's like you're there for five days. And if you have a full-time job that you work five days a week, you see where we're getting at? Yep. Time changes. You have to you have to do things completely differently when you're full-time RV. And it's different for everybody, guys. What yep. some people like moving every week or two weeks. For us, it would be probably at this point going back one month. We would go one month. That way it would allow us plenty of time to get to the new location, to explore all the attractions around that location without burning ourselves out to see all those locations, right? I mean, Yosemite. All the bucket list locations. All the bucket list locations. Guys, those take a lot of time to actually explore. Shorter stays will cost you more money. Think about it. Mm -hmm. When you're moving every week or two, you're spending gas to get to the new location. You're also going to a new area where you don't know where anything is. So there's a little bit of stress in that, right? Especially if you need some supplies exactly two weeks you start to know where stuff is and then right when you start to know where stuff is you go it's time to move on right to the next location you finally figured out the grocery you, yeah situation. you finally got it out you love the area but you've already got plans and you got to be at the next location go, because you scheduled last year to do this you, are you feeling what i'm saying yeah. but one month we found was the sweet spot for us and our family mm -hmm. to go to a location enjoy it not be rushing around know where all the local stores are the local hospitals everything exactly. um you know just in case of an emergency it's better to go on an rv trip and stay in one region maybe you're staying in the southwest corner of the country but you really hit everything you want to see there than to do a trip that's cross country and try to hit six destinations across 20 states it's better to do smaller but deeper than to try to hit everything in one month it's so true sense? yeah i think we were at six months six months of our rv experience full-time rv and, and i don't we, know how many states and, and we went through i don't know how many states and how many, many campgrounds we were moving every couple of weeks yep. by the time we got to yosemite we were wiped out yep. we were exhausted but then god works right god slowed us down for two months by putting a couple of birds in the back ladder they wouldn't let us move without a fine in jail time if we didn't let those birds hatch and boom we got to experience yosemite national park for two months all the way from late winter through the spring 
spring into early summer. So guys, when we started out, there was a massive trend of RVing. I mean, it, everybody wanted to RV. And then when COVID hit, the whole industry exploded. Everybody wanted to RV. And they didn't want to go on planes. They didn't want to, you know, stay in hotels because of just what, what was germs. going on. Germs. We germs. Everybody was freaked out. So it exploded. What we're starting to notice now is the whole thing is slowing down. People are dumping their RVs. Prices are lower than we've seen them in four or five years right now. Campgrounds are starting to have a lot more vacancies. Major pivot, I think, too, because the people that are sticking in the RV lifestyle, they're RVing differently. It's no longer a thing of like, let's hit the Grand Canyon and Key West and let's see Mount Rushmore all in one trip within <laughs> one week. Now it's, it's different. It's a slower pace. Isn't it funny how hindsight is always 2020? Most of the newbies, as they are often referred to, how are they going to learn? How do we learn? The answer, most of the time, it's the hard way. RVing is exciting. It is. And the dream of traveling and exploring is intoxicating. And you know what kind of decisions can be made when you are intoxicated. Bad ones. So take it from the wingman and from John and Mercedes and most other RVers. Slowing down. Taking your time. It's the best way to enjoy seeing our beautiful country. Something else and it's a whole other segment, is how campgrounds are less crowded than they have been over the past couple of years. And that's a good thing. If you aren't yet a member of the RV Odd Squad, well, I invite you to check out John and Mercedes online on their YouTube channel. What you see is what you'll get with the RV Odd Couple. They're funny, they're smart, they're humble and honest, and just the kind of folks you'd like to hang with around a nice campfire. In the YouTube search bar, type in RV Odd Couple. They're all over the place. And of course, we have a link up to them and a lot of other folks we highly recommend on our website at thervshowusa.com. Looking at new RVs? Avoid the headaches and visit the dealers in the RV Dealers I Trust Network. I trust these people. I think you can too. rvdealersitrust.com. This is the RV Wingman, and I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It'll take you less than a minute to read. It's a great way to stay connected around my virtual campfire. Add your name at vrvshowusa.com. If you're enjoying today's show, we'd love to hear from you. Call our voicemail 24-7 and let us know how you think we're doing. My 24-hour voicemail number, 1-330-WINGMAN. That's 1-330-WINGMAN. The RV Show USA. Start living the RV dream day. Hi, it's the RV Wingman, and thanks for joining me today. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast and leave us a review. It's really helpful and lets us know what you think about the show. And don't forget to sign up for our email list at thervshowusa.com. Be safe, have fun, play nice, and don't leave your good manners at home. I'll see you next time. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.